Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Yeah, so I'm going to say the uncool thing about this next guest, Rick Hansen. I guess, in a way, they say that you're never supposed to act like the fangirl when you're interviewing someone for a podcast. And for me, it was really hard not to be the fangirl with Rick Hansen, because maybe inside, you know, he's kind of the father that maybe we would all want. So you can listen to his podcast, too, which he does do with his son. And it's very, very sweet on being well. Um, but Rick Hansen is a psychologist. He's also a senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. He's a New York Times bestselling author. His books are available in 28 languages because they really touch something core about all of us as human beings. My favorite, most current one is called Resilient, but he's also got some really great neuroscience-based books, Hardwiring Happiness, Buddha's Brain, Just One Thing, and he has some great online courses that I think are well worth their weight in gold and every penny that you pay for them. He's also a trustee of Saybrook University and serves on the board of Spirit Rock Meditation Center, where I've actually gotten to see him um, speak live. So enjoy this conversation, and you can get giddy with me because he said something really sweet about me at the end of the podcast. When someone's a hero and says something sweet like that about you, you get really excited, and I was. Thanks for listening. Rick Hansen. I have with us Dr. Rick Hansen, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to have you. I don't want to toot your horn. I'm going to let you toot your horn, except for I will, I, I do want to offer some gratitude and say that your most recent book, Resilient, has really helped me propel this project forward because there are moments where things get tense and using the steps of heal to really um, feel into my body and amplify the good experiences and then link them so that I can hold on to them as a trait, not just a, a state change, but a trait change has really helped. Um, you're also one on the board of the Greater Good Science Center, yeah? Um, they have an advisory board, so I sit on that. And officially, I'm a senior fellow there, which is an enormous honor. And I, want, I also want to say, Tracy, I'm so touched at the chance to be here and really honor what you are doing and through you, everybody listening or watching this and all the people involved with these sidewalk conversations. I just think it's wonderful. Thank you for including me. Thank you. You know, when we prepped for this call together, we talked about resilience in the context of the work that we're doing, trying to really bridge the division that we have in our human connection hearts, right? And I guess I wanted to, to hear more about resilience in general, but then your thoughts that you might have to offer to our listeners on how we might take care of ourselves when we're out there on the sidewalk, listening mm. to strangers. Yeah. Well, as you know, because you've, you've read my book, and I thank you for that, I focus on three things that really shape the course of a person's life. I, like you, a psychotherapist, or people 
helping people in general, we focus on challenges, vulnerabilities, and resources mm-hmm. for all they defined out in the world, in the body, and in the mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, geek that I am, that gives us nine ways, nine places to make things better, as you know from reading the introduction to my book, Resilient. Of those, I focus myself mainly on helping people develop resources inside their being, inside their own mind, inside their psychology, resources like self-compassion, self-worth, skillfulness with others, uh, commitment to social justice, commitment to sobriety, whatever it might be, the good that we want to grow inside ourselves. And through growing these resources inside, we're laying the foundations for an increasingly unshakable core of resilient well-being woven into the fabric of our own body, especially the brain. So that's the focus here. Resources. uh, And so actually, I'll give you a little rubric that I thought of recently that's a way to think about it. It's kind of four things. I'm a four-point plan kind of guy. I admit it. Uh, (laughs) First, are you having experiences that are useful to you? Then if they're usually enjoyable, not always, but are they useful? Okay. And then second, when you're having those experiences, usually because they're right there in the flow of life. Yeah. You don't have to create them. They're there. Are you taking them in? Are you helping yeah. them in to grow, to move from state to trait? Yeah. To grow trait, uh, self-compassion, trait, generosity, trait, yeah. wisdom, trait, determination. Are you growing? Are you helping those states become traits, given the way the brain works? Yeah. And then third, as you grow these resources inside, when the oatmeal hits the fan, do you reach down for them, mm. or do you forget you have them? Yeah. So there you are in a sidewalk conversation, let's say, and something happens, or you need to call on something, even just to enter into it. Can a person reach down inside mm. deliberately? And then the fourth question is. Do the, over time, do these resources increasingly move forward automatically? So it takes less willpower or deliberate attention or intention to pull them up. So that's kind of the overall process. Yeah. So that's how I think about it. And I think it might be useful for people, it would be useful for me yeah. if I were doing this directly, to ask, oh, what would be helpful given that I want to do this or given that I find myself in certain situations what would be helpful if it were more in me? Uh, I pointed at my head, it's really the whole being. What yeah. If it were more in my heart, what would help me do this? Yeah. And then once that's named, then we're in a very hopeful and forward-looking process mm-hmm. as an opportunity to identify that which we want to grow and then look for ways to experience it and then take it in. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're reminding me of some times that I've had out on the sidewalk, and there are really simple things that are helpful. Like, I always tell the volunteers, make sure you're warm enough. It's no fun to not, to not feel warm enough. And so if you're out there and you're listening to maybe a hard conversation, you can zero in on the fuzziness of your jacket, and then it feels good, and then it's holding you, right? Yeah. Or I sometimes if somebody gets really intellectual, I can feel a little disconnected from in that conversation. And so the other piece that I zero in on is I take a lot of pleasure in people's faces. Um, I'm like, well, maybe I won't worry so much about the words per se, but see if I can just delight in this person's face. And it sort of reminds me of the things that you're 
describing as amplifying or using as a resource when we're out there yeah. listening. Is that, yes. Am I getting you right? You are talking about helping yourself have useful experiences. Okay. Including helping your body be warm and tending to the sweet, what's the Mary Oliver line, the soft animal of the body, mm -hmm. uh, taking really good care of it. That's great. And then also you're talking about uh, looking at people's faces as a way to support empathy and be present. Those are all wonderful things. What I especially would be interested in yeah. is as people take care of the sweet, soft, furry, vulnerable body, or as they look at faces and have mm -hmm. opportunities to experience empathy and compassion for others, can there be along the way a softening in your body mm. and a receiving into yourself of this experience? That yeah. A felt sense of it kind of sifting down into you. Mm -hmm. The experience of this is really tender and real. And if you pop out, if anybody mm -hmm. wants to, your brain is changing at the time, at the mm -hmm. same, you can help yourself, you can help your brain change for the better. Yeah. That, knowing that might seem too intellectual or too mechanistic or something. Although on the other hand, it really appeals to some people. It's kind of cool. To, it's kind of cool. And it's, it's reaffirming. It's, it builds faith and conviction yeah. and confidence that your practices will really make a difference over time. Mm. So for me, those, those are the two things to pay, pay attention to states, mm -hmm. to what we're experiencing, to pay attention to experiences, but also mm. pay attention to learning or growing mm -hmm. from the experiences we're having. And as a longtime therapist and teacher, I think it's that second step that is so easy to forget, especially right. in the ordinary rush of our day. I love what you're saying. Because one of the things that I try to tell volunteers is this is a practice. This isn't a one-time, let's come out to the street and help those poor people over there. I said, we're all those poor people. <laughs> let's, let's see it as a practice of relational presence. Yeah. And what you're describing, because I pop out all the time and then come back and sink in. And it's yeah. a renewed practice each time. If I could ask you a question, um, what are the inner resources that you draw upon mm -hmm. or that you see as you've experienced as useful for others to draw upon mm -hmm. that help people have mm -hmm. the uh, sidewalk conversations? Yeah. Well, almost always, first and foremost, the breath, because somebody might say something that gets my breath hitched. And there's a lot of resource that I have to just modulate my breath and remember, oh, yeah, I don't have to feel like I'm in fight or flight right here, yeah. right? Um, musculature is huge for me. It's not the same for everyone else just because I've been a runner for so many years. So I'm always thinking about that stuff. Um, so I can really tell when I start clenching my jaw or my shoulders. And so that becomes a resource for recognizing when I am or am not sinking down in or softening. Mm -hmm. um, I use the, my, my, the other volunteers, my peers that are sitting on the sidewalk with me too, right? If something's really hard, I might sort of just know that, okay, right here on the right, there's somebody that is, is here to support me. And mm -hmm. that usually softens my body too, just having them yeah. near. That felt sense of others who care about you, mm -hmm. allies, uh, companions, lovers, friends, family, mentors, benefactors. Guardian Angels, uh, I have a whole caring committee inside my own mind. That 
uh, the fairy godmother from Sleeping Beauty and Gandalf and Spock uh, right. and some rock climbing guides I've gone out with. Anyway, I have Princess my, Leia right over my shoulder right here. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. Anyway, um, yeah, exactly. That's an incredible resource to draw upon and felt sense of being cared about. Yeah. 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 So I'm really curious, and, and I know that this isn't what resilient is about, but I, you know, you've studied this for a long time. We had a video go viral on us recently, and there were a lot of um, questions from introverts about how could, how could being listened, I don't need to be listened to. I don't need anyone. And I would love to just think together about that distinction between that really lovely kind of resourcing solitude versus that need for belonging and connection. That's interesting. Could you say more about people? Are you saying there are people who took a position that essentially said, uh, it's not important to me to be deeply heard by anyone ever? Is that what yes. they actually? Yes. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, maybe I'll I'm a kind of swing too. at that a couple different ways. So <laughs> okay. one way is I consider myself a friendly introvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love solitude. Uh, I love the distinction you made between solitude and loneliness. Uh, there's a lot of actually research. Of, uh, I was talking with someone recently, and there's good research now that loneliness as an experience over time carries as many risks for physical health as chronic cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. Think about the comparison between the two. The loneliness can wear on us in that way. Yeah. Now, point one. So that, and, and I'm saying this as someone who really enjoys his own company and is quite happy eating dinner alone and it's one of my happy places and all the rest. <laughs> with a good book, with a good book. Second, wow, as deeply, deeply, profoundly social primates, social mammals, certainly in childhood, and I think in adulthood, it's important for everyone. I'm not sure it's necessary for everyone, but I think it's important for everyone naturally to feel received in some fundamental way. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to go on record as a psychologist who would say that as a view, people can see for themselves. I can imagine a person who's constructed a life of profound solitude, kind of a hermit-type life. Uh, I'm rooted in spiritual traditions, uh, including the Buddhist tradition that value uh, solitude and seclusion and respect the solitary Buddha it's sometimes described. And I can imagine that as a possibility. That's a really unusual possibility for a person to choose. and. I would wonder about the ways it could be a spiritual bypass, mm-hmm. to use John Wellwood's phrase. Yeah. Someone using an ideology of self-reliance or some kind of glamorizing it through a religious wrap mm-hmm. that's really fundamentally about withdrawal from contact because it's stirring, it's upstirring, and a preservation of a, of a distance. Yeah. That said, if someone wants to do that, okay. Obviously, in your program, there's no demand here. Uh, There's no obligation. Uh, But I would definitely say that I think for most people, where the issue shows up really is, how can I give what is in my heart to give Mm -hmm. 
and how can I receive from others what is important to me while also maintaining a fundamental well-being, while also not feeling flooded by them, while also not feeling exhausted or plundered by those who want me to give to them, um, while also not feeling overwhelmed. And that's the question, really, I think practically. I think I, I think you're hitting it on the head because I think this idea of emotional contagion, will I catch the sad feelings yeah. that you're having or will you catch my sad feelings and somehow yeah. push you away really comes up. And yeah, and I think that's what it's about. Yeah. And when you talk about creating this unshakable core of well-being, in a way, mm-hmm. I sort of see that as how you begin to create that healthy interdependence. Because then I can be resilient as I listen to your sad feelings. Yeah. And then I can be resilient as I receive from you the kindness around my sad feelings, rather than fear that I might be left. Yeah, that's right. Um, there are these two great poles in life, these two great themes uh, rivers running through us of, in simple words or a single words, autonomy and intimacy, mm. the great themes. And a v- different version of that is assertiveness and kindness mm. or compassion. How do we balance those two together or simply me and we? And what a lot of research shows as well as direct experience is, is that to enter into the depths of we it's really useful to have a core healthy sense of me, mm-hmm. not me selfishly, not me arrogantly, but a healthy sense of my own rights, my own autonomy, mm-hmm. my own rights to uh, disengage if I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to disengage earlier today from someone that I, and I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, on the other hand, uh, intimacy is not at odds with autonomy, that through yeah. receiving, uh, this, I would say this for the introverts of the world or the self-proclaimed uh, big-time introverts, that it's in part, especially in childhood, but also in adulthood, it, it's in part through receiving social supplies from others. It's mm-hmm. a fancy term for love, attention, kindness, empathy, attunement, rapport, mm-hmm. cherishing, prizing, valuing, very important things. Through receiving those from others, going back to states becoming traits, we have experiences which then naturally become internalized. And then on the basis of those internalized experiences in part through others, we develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-regulation. We're able to to regulate ourselves. And as part of that regulation, manage fairly intense feelings Mm. without being swamped by them. Yeah. And without needing to exercise the strategy of keeping others a million miles away Mm -hmm. so as not to be swamped by their intensities. Yeah. So you can see that we supports me, me supports we uh, uh, in a wonderful dance. And where I see a lot of people, honestly, for every one of those folks who are just way too much me, I usually see issues with intimacy boiled down to issues with autonomy. Mm-hmm. That as people develop more of this unshakable core internally, they are much more comfortable venturing into the deeper waters of intimacy mm-hmm. uh, or receiving others. I think of that like a deeply rooted tree. As your as your roots go down and you feel strong in your yeah. core, you're much more open to the to the wind <laughs> coming yeah. at you. Maybe yeah. the leaves will be blown away. You know, a few twigs might break, but after the storm passes, you remain. Yeah. 
Well, this is why, you know, when I, when I saw you speak recently, I, I had an aha moment that, gosh, this, I don't want to make it so pithy as to call it self-care. I like the unshakable core metaphor that it is the foundation of doing good in the world because for us to be able to produce stuff that isn't egoic and, and self-driven, but truly about intimacy and healing and wholeness, that practice, yeah. a reg, I know for me, I, I am, I do much better when my practices are on point. I need, I need a practice. I, I'm yeah. run kind of anxious. I'm super triple burner energy and, that's okay. Probably going to go to the dirt like that. <laughs> uh. Right. And, um, doesn't mean though that, um, I don't want more intimacy in my life. Yeah. Yet these pieces that you describe are prerequisites of this me, this healthy me. That's correct. Yeah. And rooted really sometimes people, I was that way. Um, mm -hmm. I pushed away for a long time, my normal needs, even as a introvert, uh, for closeness with others. And it's funny, the more it makes us squirm to admit that we'd really like something, probably the more it's been missing in our life. Yeah. And the more important it is these days to look for healthy and authentic ways to take it in. So to really admit that I wanted to feel special to people or I wanted to be included among the cool kids, or that to admit that um, I wanted to be uh, as kind of a scrawny, very young kid going through school with glasses, I wanted to, to feel like, hey, I was, I, my natural athleticism, which is not great, but it's good, was seen, whatever. So to admit these things, oh, I can feel my internal, I call it the cringeometer, the cringeometer. <laughs> But th that's where the opportunity for growth is and yeah, yeah. internal freedom, internal freedom. Yeah, every time You're, I admit something, it's liberating like that, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So and and I, the aim for me is, is kind of just to, what you're saying, the deep aim is an internal freedom. I think of this quote, I believe, from Upandita, a Buddhist teacher of Southeast Asia, a very senior yeah. teacher. He says... The, essentially, the purpose of practice. So like you said, have, you have a practice. Practice is important. Yeah. The purpose of practice is to expand the range of experiences in which we are free internally wow. in our relationship to them. Yeah. I like that. So to be able to be free in relationship to what arises as we talk with someone mm. on the, out on the street. Yeah. 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 So I'm going to just ask you two more questions and then I'll, I'll say a big heartfelt thank you. Yeah. Why are we, why are we, if we know this is stuff is important, if we know that the me and the we are important, it seems to me like it's getting harder or worse. Do you have an, an idea about the causality of that? Why we even need therapists and sidewalk listeners mm -hmm. and all that big question. <laughs> For me, I start with, uh, like what are the deep causes of things? And it, we, it's, we, it's helpful really to keep it in mind that mm. the natural social group mm. for a human being is about 30 adults yeah, with 10 or 20 kids rolling around the edges. That yeah. that literally is the typical size of a hunter gatherer band that might have a loose relationship with some other bands that are sort of clan bands, but they're literally on the other side of the mountain. 
mm. and um, around which are many other bands that are hostile or dangerous or okay. risky. So it's in that framework then that we lived. And we, most people throughout history have spent most of their lives in that way until only around 10,000 years ago. Mm. So anatomically modern humans that look like you and me right now uh, arose around 300,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So for the last, for 290 or so thousand years, we hung out with just 30 adults most of our lives. With so it's little, hard for us to in, in sort of metabolize all these differences. Yeah, exactly. So these days, the takeaway is how different modern life is. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's a lot about modern life I like, like refrigeration and Advil and ESPN <laughs> and a few other pinnacles of human modern 21st century civilization and, you know, all that. And how can we reclaim? I think that's what so we said before we started. For me, what's profound about what you've really seated here is to reclaim our nature, which mm-hmm. is to engage other people eye to eye, sometimes skin to skin, mm-hmm. and explore. That's deep. That's deep in our nature. So there's a lot about modern society that's disruptive mm-hmm. of that. Amidst other useful, positive things, to be sure, there are those elements. So for me, uh, it call, I just feel we're called to be strong ourselves. I guess that's kind of a, a sense in you as well, a, a certain scruffy self-reliance. And, uh, you got that already, huh? <laughs> takes one to know one, anyway. <laughs> um, cool. And so what are we going to do? Yeah, we're in cities. It's, they're busy. We're in the age of Trump. We're in some ways. We're bombarded with information. Great advertisers are manipulating us all day long. Late stage capitalism is in full flower. and All the rest of that. Okay, got it. And meanwhile, what can we do to connect and form contacts with other people and to swim against the stream? Love it. Cool. So I'm going to ask for something from you in this last question. Um, if you were to offer one parting wish or piece of advice that would be a gift to all the volunteers that will be watching you speak, what parting gift, wish or piece of advice would you offer us? Actually, I'll quote a teacher of mine mm. who said something that really touched me once. This is Joseph Goldstein. Some people oh, will know mm-hmm. of him. You know of him. So Joseph's a meditation teacher, an American mindfulness instructor, uh, an East Coast kind of guy. He's not yeah. um, no. He's a very warm person, but he laugh. I mean, people. He, he's not a, like an effusive, touchy feely kind of person. And I asked him a version myself of one of these questions, which is essentially my version of it is, if um, you could nominate a practice for a critical mass of people on the planet to do every day for five minutes, Mm. what would it be? And there's no right answer. There's just your answer. It's interesting. What would it be? Mm. And uh, people have said all kinds of lofty things in response to that question. And Joseph paused. He said, you know, I would have them spend five minutes a day listening to another person without any judgments. Wow. So that's what I would offer here. And that opportunity to really give other people the gift of listening. And to quote Dan Siegel, this lovely phrase, to give others the the gift and the profound blessing of feeling felt. Yeah. Wow. 
Dr. Rick Hansen, thank you. What a privilege and an honor. And um, you will continue to support our work long after this conversation. And uh, a deep gratitude for all you offer in your work. Thank you. Really my pleasure. And I'm very tickled. Yeah. And you're super cool. <laughs> We've never talked before, Tracy, that I can remember I at least. I did ask you a question at Spirit Rock about uh, my driven psychotherapy clients. And, and, and when you ask them to settle inside, they feel like they're going to lose their drive. And you yeah. had a great response for me. So. Oh, good. Because I've grappled with that issue myself. Surrounded by 30 people. So. Well, that's good. Thanks. That's really good. All well, right. thank you. Thank you again for letting me do this with you. Yeah. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you.